Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. everyone it's that time of week again where we get together to come and talk about the Bengals. unfortunately this year talking about the Bengals is talking about just starving for a single win just a single win but here we are as we always are talking about the cincinnati Bengals, commiserating if you will i'm anthony kazenza this is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast and i am joined as always by my my comrade in, in misery, my commiserator. I don't know if that's even proper English, but uh, John, how you doing, bud? Uh, this 0-6. This is, I don't know. This is the podcast. The grammar doesn't matter, but you know what? I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. My, my head my, my head feels good. My knee feels good, and I guess it's because Bengals got a couple of players back from injury today in practice. We want we want to talk about that real quick. Well, 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 yeah. In just a second, I'm I'm more concerned about how your dancing shoes did over the weekend at the wedding. Did you uh, did you rock that thing or what? That's mainly why I'm, I'm recovering in those two areas of my body because they were both very sore the, the night the night before. But it was it was a blast again. Um, it's my first wedding like ever since I was like five. So hopefully there's more to come in the, in the near future. Yeah, in, the, in your 20s and 30s, man, they they come fast and furious. So uh, in, enjoy them, and and I'm glad you had fun. It it was your was your cousin? Is that right? It was my cousin's wedding. Yep. Cool, man. Uh, and you were sort of in it. You were in, you were an usher, right? Yeah, I was an usher, and I had the. Did you, did you fall? Did you did you get? No, I did not. Feet? I did not. Oh, I was I was extremely scared because, like, the night before, I was told I had to walk my 92 year old grandma down Whoa. the aisle, like as the first like group of people to walk down the aisle to lead like the bride and whatever. And wow. and like my, my grandma's 92, but she's and she's a spry, athletic 92 years old. She's not like your typical near 100 year old grandma but i had to keep pace with her and i had to make sure that if i trip everyone's going to talk about this so that, that was the most nerve-wracking moment but fortunately i passed so it was all well, good good. There. good i'm glad you had fun and uh, obviously you had a more eventful weekend than i did so uh kudos to you my friend <laughs> we've got a lot on tap tonight aside from talking about john's wedding adventures uh we've we've got a little bit of a ravens breakdown to talk about we've got some updates on some injuries and returns of Bengals players what that means we've got a little bit of of previewing the Jags uh game coming up here and then we're also gonna kind of talk about the overall landscape of the NFL given some moves that have gone on around the league some major news unfortunately not really with the Bengals but uh some major news with other teams acquiring talent and then of course uh you know we've John came across some interesting information about uh, predictions for wins and losses and how the season will play out the rest of the way here and some interesting stuff with the Cincinnati Bengals especially as it goes with affecting their draft status in 2020 which now looms very large in terms of their 
ability to turn things around under Zach Taylor and uh, move in the right direction. Again, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Thanks for those of you who are joining us live in our in our YouTube channel, or if you're joining us on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. Thank you for joining us. Uh, unfortunately, on Facebook, you only get to see me. You don't get to see John, but uh, you get to hear him. And uh, But either way, how you're joining us, appreciate that. You can also, if you're unable to join us live, as always, you can get the show on iTunes, on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You can get it on Megaphone. All of our stuff is on CincyJungle.com. And then, of course, our, our YouTube channel. So get it how you can. John, let's let's kind of kick it off a little bit with the Ravens, uh, the Ravens' loss. I'm at kind of a loss of adjectives for the for, for the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of what they're putting out there on tape. Uh, it's kind of a, I mean, there, there's there are some no, you know, uh, the obvious veterans are out there, but there are a lot of guys missing. So it's kind of like, who's that guy again? Oh, who's coming in now? But some guys are stepping up out on tape. Brandon Wilson primarily. A lot of others are not. Uh, we'll kind of start big picture and then hone in a little bit your impressions of the Bengals as they lost to the Ravens 23 17 this this past week more or less I think they played it about as well as a team of their caliber can be expected to play against a team like the Ravens I think uh, I charted like my main focus afterwards was like hey how did they handle the you know facing against Baltimore's rushing attack specifically with the read option compared to how they handled uh, Arizona last week with Kyler Murray I thought it was really good that they played Lamar right after Kyler because they would presumably had that film and that evaluation of themselves fresh in their mind while game planning for this game. And honestly, I don't think what they did specifically schematically wise was that too outlandish or that bad. It's just like they're just not talented enough to, to combat that right now. And it was clearly obvious. I mean, Lamar was, I think, 20 yards away from breaking the NFL record for quarterbacks rushing yards, which is just absurd to even think about. Like, I think he had like 152. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, it was, it was yeah, I think it was third. So and then the other three running backs had over hundred yards as well. So the third game where they gave up two hundred and fifty rushing yards in the first six weeks, which is just insane to think about. But, but yeah, like like the plan I think was better than how they faced Arizona and that it comes with like you know re- the reactionary nature of game planning and whatnot, but they just they just don't have the bodies, man. Like like they forced Gino and their other defensive linemen to play more contained, to play more calm and not really rush the pocket. And that obviously negatively impacted the pass rush in general. And even when they were successful in containing Lamar still broke out of the pocket and made stuff happen with his feet. I think it was that third and long towards the end of the game where they're only down by 10. Lamar converted it with with his with on the ground and they ended up scoring a field goal and basically took the game uh, out, out of winnability for them. And it was basically, you know, it was a culmination of them trying to do everything right, trying to them trying to do everything they can, and just they just weren't talented enough to do it. I think on on offense. You know, Baltimore secondary was definitely weak coming into this, despite having both Marlon Humphrey and, and Earl Thomas, and they ended up moving the ball decently throughout the uh, throughout portions of the game. But again, no no resemblance of consistency, and again that that the strength of that Ravens defense is in the front seven, and obviously I think what ten yards for eight carries on Joe Mixon basically said it all for what you can say about the Bengals running game. So a lot of the strengths and weaknesses kind of validated themselves in this game. And unfortunately, Baltimore is just that much more talented and has that much more pieces where they can do basically whatever they want, no matter what scheme the Bengals tried out there. Yeah. On one hand, it's, you kind of want to say, Hey, pat on the back, valiant effort, I guess. On the other hand, a lot of the same issues, a lot of the same coaching stuff. I mean, the defense, yeah, they're, they're missing some bodies, but I mean, they, they almost looked like they were completely surprised at the fact that a, a read option offense was being 
thrown at him. I mean, it was kind of like, this is, this is the Ravens with Lamar Jackson. I mean, that's, that's what you're getting. Uh, might be a little more sophisticated than what you saw last year because he's grown as a quarterback, but I mean, he's going to run the ball a lot. They're going to run the ball a lot. And that's, I mean, it, they just seem unprepared for that, which was a little staggering. And the thing I said this in the post game reactions, John, the thing, and I'll try and I don't know if I'm wording this as um, understandable, I guess, as possible, but I, it seems to me, you know, when teams are doing well, they're either one unit is totally carrying them, like their offense are putting up a ton of points, their defense is stopping everybody, and then the, the offense will occasionally score, whatever the case may be. Or usually, if you're a very good team, you know, both units are kind of clicking. The defense is stopping guys, your offense is taking advantage, and you're, and you're scoring points. It seems to me that even on the rare occasions when either one of these units do something right, the other one completely fails to show up. I, I looked at the uh, you know the scoring situation in in this game. Cincinnati's defense first three drives for the Ravens touchdown touchdown field goal um, in, in the first basically the, it was all in the first quarter. Then they clamped down and Bengals offense shut down didn't do anything. Um, really, the Bengals didn't score a touchdown on offense until what about a minute and a half left in the game. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, there's no sense of cohesion. It's, it's massive dry spells by both sides of, on both sides of the ball. And it's really making for some really uh, pretty much unwatchable, (laughs) unwatchable football because they're not putting up points on offense. And for the most part, they're getting run over on defense. Yeah. And, and like the big mistake that Andy Dalton made in that first half it was, he was threw it into triple coverage and ended up being tipped in the air for an interception. He wasn't pressured on that play. It was a it was a completely clean pocket. And that was something we talked about last week. He's just he's just not doing well in situations where he normally does well. There was one there was one play I think where Drew Sample got beat off the line and uh, Dalton ended up getting hit. But that was also another clean pocket where he had ample space to step up and he didn't. And then he missed you know an Alex Erickson deep post down the field. So. Combined with you know the faults for on the defense, and obviously the defense got toasted because they just weren't athletic enough to do anything. But the offense, you know, continued to fail to step up and re- resemble any consistency. And when you talk about you know multiple units not working together, you have the defensive line for the most part doing their job. I think you know Sam Hubbard and Carl Lawson for what they were tasked to do as you know the the force read collision or um, you know. Uh, read defenders basically on the edge combating this read option. You had them doing their job and mainly staying contained. And I swear to God, man, like when watching this defense, there was at least six times where Preston Brown had no idea where the ball was, yep. where he would just he would just go into his run fit and they would basically call it a day. He wouldn't make any effort to either get off the block or to find the ball. There were there would be multiple times where he'd be looking around like, oh, oh crap, the play went the other way. Like when with, with Brown, like not only is he slow, but for a guy who's in his sixth year as a starter, not just in the league, but as a starter, and he still doesn't have any idea of like following the play and like be, continuing to go with his run fit, it's just plainly unexcusable. Like Nick Vigil is obviously still like the same level of slowness in terms of play speed, but he at least I think makes more efforts to, you know, to chase down plays and get off blocks when I was Brown. It's, it's completely, it's completely embarrassing. And that was my main takeaway, I guess, with the defense. And there's just not really much more you can say about what the offense and how it's being led at this point. Yeah. I mean, Nick Vigil efforts fine, but I mean, the missed tackles are just mind boggling. What I found very, I guess I, I guess all you can really do is laugh about it. What I found kind of laughable was, 
you know, the, the commentators in the game were talking about how they spoke with Nick Vigil the night before, and Nick Vigil called it a game where you have to put on your big boy pads because they're going to run the ball at you, all that. And, you know, shortly after a Gus Edwards run up, up the sideline, Nick Vigil on one play misses two tackles, two yeah. tackle attempts in one play. Simply put, in a, in a, you know, RPO type of offense that the Ravens run, your linebackers are critical because they need to limit damage as, and they need to diagnose the plays like you mentioned with Preston Brown. They need to be able to see, okay, this this is going to Mark Ingram. This is kind of coming up the gut. I got to be there to clog the lane, or this is this is bouncing out wide. Lamar Jackson's taking it out wide. I got to kind of spy him and take, you know, keep after him. They're lost, man. Um, and and when they're not lost, they're still a step or two behind or missing tackles and. I guess I still sit here and I I wonder how the Bengals looked at their roster going into this offseason and really said, well, we'll just take one third-round linebacker. Well, we'll re-sign Preston Brown, only played a handful of games with us and really wasn't overly impressive last year. Let's stick with Nick Vigil. I I just – I don't understand it. Um, I, I Just a, a glaring omission of, of – or a, I don't know, maybe it's a willing willing ignorance, you know? But I guess the argument with Brown was that he was hurt last year and then, then he lost weight or whatever. He lost like 10 pounds, but 10 pounds doesn't really make a bad athlete that much better. And and again, it's not just the athleticism. It's the fact that he just doesn't seem to know where to go. And for, again, for a 27-year-old veteran, it's basically inexcusable at this point. And like they have – like these linebackers don't even work like in 2009 because they're not powerful at the point of attack and they're not exactly great downhill. It was good to see Jermaine Pratt out there for 30 snaps. Yeah. And he was only – he he only played because the Bengals had to have three linebackers out there to match Baltimore's personnel. It's not yeah. like it's not like they put in Pratt because they're disappointed in Brown. They were still willingly putting Brown and Vigil out there. But but Pratt definitely looks promising because not only is he athletic downhill, he's athletic um, laterally. And he had a couple coverage busts, and that will happen for a guy who's basically starting for the first time in his career – but it was it, it was at least promising to see that the the, the most recent addition um, you know did did fairly well. But as as far as next year, like he's like the only linebacker that I would want on this roster in 2020. Right. Yep. Totally agree. I think it's time to you know. I mean, I, I think you know in the draft and free agency, really you got to load up on offensive linemen. You got to load up on tackles. I mean, yeah, they they keep bringing in interior offensive linemen. So uh, <laughs> you know. They need to load up on offensive linemen. They need to load up on linebackers. And, you know, obviously quarterback is probably up for discussion depending on who you ask there. So, um, you know, that's that's what they need to do. My my The last thing I want to talk about with, before we move on to kind of some news and notes with injuries and everything, John, um, I, I still notice some very questionable play calls. Uh, you know, aside from personnel decisions, I mean, I think they're kind of trying to work with what they've got for the most part, but I still go back to the, the Cincinnati Bengals are five of 15 in terms of touchdown percentage in the red zone this year. Okay. They're banged up at wide receiver. They're banged up on the offensive line. You spent a lot of money on CJ Uzama. You re-up Tyler Eifert because you like what he can do in the red zone and you use a second-round pick on Drew Sample. I feel like I'm a broken record saying this again, but you're struggling in the red zone. Why are you not using these guys? Why are I, I, It drove me nuts at the beginning of the game when the Bengals drove down, uh, you know, once again, and they ended up, I think, settling for a field goal. But it was a, a second and goal, 
They take Eifert out. They run the ball. Shocker, shocker, they get nothing. And then they try and, and go, I think, a fade route to Tate or something that didn't work. But no Eifert. Uzama's not even in the picture. Sample not in there. I, I'm confused by that. As soon as I saw them target Alex Erickson on third down the red yeah. zone in the end zone, I'm like, okay, that's it. We're, we're done here. Like this, that's something that like Sean McVay could have gotten away with last year when they were already extremely efficient, like to get kind of cute and creative. They don't have that luxury to do that. Just use your strengths in, until they work. Because right now you haven't even done that in the beginning. Nothing's working down there. It's like they're completely lost because they rarely even get into the red zone. Don't, don't get cute. You, you use what you have. Use what you know is good. And Alex Erickson in the end zone is not one of those. Yep. I just, I mean, to me, red zone, if you're going to throw the ball, you want to try and create as many mismatches as possible. The field is very small. Use your biggest targets, guys that you paid money to catch the football at a position that creates a lot of mismatches in tight end. And I, I just don't understand the lack of usage there. Uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We've got a lot more to get to. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Get this show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get everything on cincyjungle.com and our YouTube channel. Thanks to those of you joining us live on our YouTube channel. And for those of you also checking us out on the live video at uh, on, our, on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, kind of a new addition we're doing in terms of uh, simultaneously streaming. So uh, hopefully you are enjoying that. And if you're, maybe that's how you've first been exposed to the program. So if you're relatively new to it, we appreciate you tuning in and hopefully you enjoy it. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's get to some news and notes here, John. Uh, Do you want to start with the negative or the positive first? We're we're going positive first. Okay, positive. Okay. So on defense, the Bengals have cleared Darquez Denard for practice. So he was on the pup list to begin the year. Kind of a little bit of a surprise there. You kind of felt good about in the offseason when the Bengals were able to get him after they got B.W. Webb. They already had uh, Kirkpatrick and, and Jackson in the fold, and they you kind of figured, yeah, they're, based on some reports you were hearing that Denard wanted 8 to $10 million a year, they weren't going to get him. And they, they got him on a one-year kind of rental deal, and then lo and behold, he has a, what was it, a hamstring issue that's kind of kept him out for now. The first six games, he was on the pup list, so now he's back. So he is back. But let's go negative. Uh, it seems as if both William Jackson and Drake Kirkpatrick are now set to miss significant time. Drake Kirkpatrick is uh, dealing with a knee injury and William Jackson a shoulder injury. 
I want to get your thoughts on that position group, Denard coming back. But also, I don't know if you saw a tweet from, I believe it was Ben Baby of the Cincinnati Enquirer saying, I'm kind of surprised that Jackson was is going to be held out as long as he is because he said he was able to pop his shoulder back into place. I guess that means a separation or a dislocation. Right. Uh, right. And get back in there and play. Obviously, that sounds very painful. Um, but does does that comment kind of strike you as odd from from Ben Baby? Yeah, I think they yeah. they put him back in because they needed him because they're playing Corey McTire out there, and you know, you know, with Dre, I guess yeah, yeah like that, that that didn't look very promising. At all. He got rolled up on t- the tight end Mark Andrews, and he's gonna be out for about a month. But yeah. Like, it, it, it's def- it definitely helps that Denver's coming back with both Jackson and Kirkpatrick out now because if he's not, then you have like Webb and you have Webb and McTire and McGray uh, out there as a starter. So hopefully Denver can come back and, and start. And it'll be interesting to see where he lines up because you had Webb in the slot when everyone's healthy. You would think that Denver would move back in there and you keep Webb on the outside. But at the same time, Denver wanted to be an outside cornerback for another team in free agency this year. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of move those guys around. So. I think now you have McTire going back to the bench and you're keeping McRae out there. So, yeah, like, uh, again, like with Jackson, like, I guess it depends on like, your outlook on Bengals injuries because first said he was going to be out like several weeks and now it's like a couple of weeks. So hopefully he'll be back by the bye because they definitely do. Yeah. Uh, do you think – do you see Denard having any kind of huge positive impact or just kind of treading water based on what they've received from – Kirkpatrick and uh, and and Jackson. Yeah, uh, yeah we, it, hopefully, he practice, hopefully he does well in practice. Hopefully, he does well in pads the first time. Um, I would expect some rust coming out the gate with him, but like they, they definitely need cornerbacks right now. They're down to like four healthy ones, and when it happens to be one of them, so I, I hope he can play well because they're definitely going to need him for these next two weeks. Yep. So on offense now. Uh, Cincinnati has added an offensive lineman from the Steelers uh, and Fred Johnson, who was a guy they seem to have liked. He was on their active roster. They cut him. They tried to sneak him. The Steelers, that is, tried to sneak Johnson onto the practice squad. Bengals scooped him up. Uh, in doing so, they put Kerry Wynn on IR, one of their quote-unquote big outside free agent acquisitions, Kerry Wynn, who uh, played in only a couple of games, had a concussion there. Um Good that they picked up an offensive lineman, I guess, but another interior guy, right? Uh, I, I think they want him at like both positions, right? Like, yeah, like I think he started his career in Florida as a tackle, and then I guess he only played guard for Pittsburgh. And by all yeah. accounts, I think most people liked what he what he showed in preseason. He was an undrafted guy and wasn't like a particularly special prospect coming out of Florida. Florida doesn't really produce many good offensive linemen, but they, they seem to have a fetish for, for like height of guard because he's like six, like seven. I think he's even taller than Michael Jordan. So um, yeah, they, again, they, they need all the depth they can get there because Andre Smith is still hurt. And you know, that like J- John Miller, I think is going to be out for about a month too. So there's opportunities for him to be like, like a depth player down the road. And God forbid, if you ever, if he ever has to come in, I would, I would hope that he'd be ready by that point. But you know, it's rare when the Bengals pick up an offensive lineman. The reaction is, "Oh, wow, that's kind of surprising because he's kind of good." Yep. <laughs> so the, the two the two biggies and pro, and undoubtedly the two that they've missed the most in this own six stretch. Cordy Glenn, the left tackle, as of Wednesday was practice had a full practice, his first full practice since suffering the concussion 
God, eight, eight weeks ago. Um, so he is back. So, you know, the loss of Miller stinks and, you know, Andre Smith and all these guys, but getting Glenn back is a huge boost to that offensive line, hopefully, especially in the run game to get that going. Um, so he is back to, to practicing full. It looks like he will probably play Sunday. Whereas AJ green, who has kind of teased us a little bit with some limited work at practice and all that did not practice on Wednesday. The goal is was that he was maybe going to come back this week. I'm not so sure if he's not practicing Wednesday, if that's the case, your thoughts. Um, oh crap. What was I was about to say, Oh yeah. With, with, with Glenn, I, I thought, I thought it was weird how they put Kerry Wynn, the defensive end, on IR with a concussion after he missed four weeks. And I'm like, if they're if they're gonna do that with Wynn, who's been out for half the time as Glenn, I wonder what the plan with Glenn is. And it just and it turns out he was practicing this week. So it was great timing for that because just like with Denner and the cornerbacks, you know, Glenn is coming back when they were down to their fourth, like in or fifth offensive tackle. So the timing couldn't be better with that because Andre Smith is still hurt. Yeah, with Green, you know, <laughs> I wonder. I really do wonder if a certain Jaguars cornerback wasn't traded, if Green would be practicing, if he would be more motivated to play. But he's yeah. going to have that chance, I guess, for sure next week, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but yeah, if he's not practicing Wednesday, you would assume they would probably want him to get two full practices in because this is AJ Green. This is the first time he's going to play, so I guess it depends on what we're going to see on Thursday and Friday. But if not, you know, it's more opportunities for guys like Auden Tate and maybe Damian Willis to pop back pop back out but i don't want green out there even even for you know his first game back um if he's not 100 ready to go and i especially don't want that if the team's plan is indeed to hang on to him long term and beyond this year because that you know kind of jeopardizes the rest of his really the rest of his career and or whatever is going to happen in 2020 or if he is going to you know be traded obviously that would affect um that situation too so um you know, we'll see. We'll see what what goes on with these guys. A lot of comings and goings with guys on IR. It's almost like, hey, who's going on IR after this week? Uh, I mean, that's it's like every game. It seems like someone's missing a month or going on IR or something like that. Not very good. And that kind of brings us to our next point. You had found some information that I, I think we all found pretty interesting. A, a prediction of how the rest of the Bengals season will go, and I think that the news and notes with the injuries kind of plays into that. I'll let you talk about that a little bit, John. Right. So I was reading an article on the athletic by Ben Baldwin, basically about uh, Aaron Rodgers and his decline. And he referenced uh, an article on 538. 538 is like the political and sports um, analytical statistic, uh, statistical website that basically has a lot of metrics and a lot of forecasting about, you know, different stuff. And specific, specifically with the NFL, uh, they have um, what's known as ELO rankings and ELO rankings essentially uh, takes a team's current situation and forecasts it uh, for the rest of the season based off, you know, playoff percentages, you know, strength of schedule, strength of strength of their division, current point differential, a bunch of different factors. And specifically with the ELO, it also tracks like um, the, the, like the it weights, you know, any quarterback changes they have on the roster and basically weights the overall impact their quarterback has on their team. So right now through week six, uh, just uh, the first time I looked at these, these forecastings in these rankings this year, they have the Bengals projected to go three and 13 uh, for the rest of the season. And that is just one win ahead of the Miami dolphins who are projected to go two and 14 there. So uh, right now I think the Bengals are in the number one spot for the NFL draft. And 
according to this, based off of all those other metrics, the Bengals would finish one win ahead of Miami in, in the second spot, just just behind Washington, who uh, finished with four and twelve here. So, with that in mind, with with all those different metrics, does three and thirteen sound about right? And if three and thirteen is the number, where are those three wins coming from? Because I'm I'm genuinely curious. So. Actually, yes, three and thirteen does sound right to me, believe it or not. And I think, like I said, and I have been saying a lot this year, I think the hope is that as the season progresses, or <laughs> it's kind of regressed at this point, yeah. <laughs> as the season goes on, uh, the experience level of the of the coaching staff ups. Maybe at some point you will have a collection of Drake Kirkpatrick, William Jackson, AJ Green, Cordy Glenn a lot of these guys back on the field and playing at or near their, their known level. So I think, you know, as the, as the year continues to go on, you know, there, there are, and guys get healthy. I think that that definitely plays into it. If you look at the, the team's uh, rest of the schedule, there are, uh, I mean, there are winnable this week's somewhat winnable, depending on who, who you ask. Um, you know, they've got games against the, they host the jets who just won their first game last week. Uh, they, they play the Raiders in Oakland, not necessarily an easy game, but Oakland's been real Jekyll and Hyde. They play the Browns twice. The Browns have been big disappointments. They play the Steelers again at home. The Steelers have two wins and a, and a third string quarterback. Um, and then of course they've got the dolphins there. They do host the Patriots as well. Yikes, that's going to be an ugly one. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, if you look at that, if you look at it that way, someone called me pretty optimistic in the in the YouTube chat earlier tonight already. I guess I'm being optimistic again. I mean, really, there are one, two, three, four, call it five or six games that are that seem to be pretty winnable the rest of the way. But it would take a much healthier roster. It would take some of these better coaching decisions and more innovative play calling to be had. I think three and 13 is realistic. Unfortunately, it just stinks to say that right now because we were talking closer to 500, maybe nine and seven, uh, or at least I was, I guess earlier in the year, but um, you know, so be it. But I, you know, I, I don't see this team going, you know, one win or zero wins or something like that. I don't, I just don't really see it. Yeah. Like how JC's in the comment section, we will tie with the dolphins. Please, please do not put our, please do not put that clip on us. I do not need to see that in week sixteen. I wouldn't be surprised if Miami just absolutely just if, if it's getting close at that in terms of win losses and all that. I I would not be surprised if Miami really throws tries to throw in the towel in a pretty obvious way. To and I hate to I mean really that would be terrible to to watch. But I, I Miami has made it known they want that first pick. Yeah, um, I'll say this with, with with how these rankings are looking right now. It has the Jets projected at seven and nine, Steelers at seven and nine, the Browns at seven and nine, uh, the Jaguars at seven and nine, the Raiders at eight and eight. So that's mostly, if not all, their easiest opponents left. So a lot of this, this model is basically projecting those guys to basically bounce back and pr- progress as the season goes on, whether it being them getting more healthy or, or their strength of schedule lowering for the rest of the year. Three and thirteen to me, so that's three and seven out of their final ten. It seems like the the absolute ceiling, in my opinion. And then, and it sucks because you started in this place. There's not there's not much lower place that you can go. But 
the, the odds of them, you know, going 0 and 16 or 1 15 are always low because that's just such a, a rarity in, in NFL history. So I guess 2 and 14 is basically like the most realistic low spot that they can go. 2 and 8 in the final 10 probably sounds about right. I think they can beat the Browns once, if, especially if Baker Mayfield doesn't improve or Freddie Kitchens doesn't improve as a play caller, which is really holding them back. Uh, like, what? Even even with Sam Darnold playing the way he is, I think the Jets are still pretty beatable because I don't trust Adam Gase or Greg Williams to coach consistently on either side of the ball. But other than that, like you have the Dolphins basically, and the Dolphins who are just equally as not talented as the Bengals are. Or maybe you can make an argument for one team or the other. But yeah, like two and fourteen, three and thirteen sounds about right. But I don't see anything more than three and thirteen. Yeah, it's it's hard to. It's hard to see them going beyond that, and it's hard to see them. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's hard to kind of talk about the fact that this is how, how far they've fallen um, as a team. I mean, I guess some people predicted it. A lot of people around the NFL predicted it. We didn't want to. We didn't want to. We didn't want to see it because, or you know, and we didn't want to believe it because they went six and ten last year with what seemed like the same, if not even lesser, talented roster and. Lo and behold, here they are. But interesting, interesting uh, concept. Also, John, to your point about the draft positioning, some interesting stuff about Joe Burrow randomly climbing up as the as mock to the Bengals as number one overall. Just quickly, your thoughts on that? I, I I find that pretty interesting, and obviously that could change in terms of perception as the year goes on. But uh, that quite quite the leap for that kid, huh? Yeah, like I think Tua is still yeah, Tua is safe. Still- QB1 because he has multiple years of good production, but there's probably not a quarterback right now playing better than Burrow, and I think he deserves that respect right now, and if he keeps it up, it's going to be tough to argue him against being a top 10 quarterback or top 10 pick and being potentially the first quarterback off the board, so he fits a lot for what the Bengals would look for in an an Andy Dalton replacement, maybe even more so than Tua, because he is a multi-year starter, he does play in the SEC, gets his wins, but a lot of that is the same as Tua, so it really come down to I guess what the NFL prefers in terms of their build and all the other intangible factors that don't really matter, but matter to them in what ways. So good for Burrow. I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he's finally you know, finding a place for him to succeed. And if it translates into the NFL, all the, all the more power to him. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I've got a guy I like uh, in terms of. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, but. I do like what I've seen from Joe Burrow. That that's the one-year wonder thing worries me a little bit, especially given his his pathway to starting. Kind of a an interesting um, interesting situation there. But we've got a little bit more on tap. We're gonna we're gonna get to talking about the Jaguars game in just a second here. But as I mentioned, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. Uh, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You can get it on Megaphone. You can get it uh, on CincyJungle.com as well as our YouTube channel. So subscribe how you can. Our stuff's also on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, at least when we do the videos. So check that out. We'll also probably – we've got – it. what's good is we've been getting since, I guess, if, the, if we're going to take a good for this show in terms of the Bengals being 0-6, we're getting a lot of fan feedback and 
terms of questions about the team that they want answered on the air. So we'll probably do another listener questions episode this week. We'll let you know when that comes out as well. Um, in order to get notified, though, subscribe to our channels and keep it glued to cincyjungle.com and their Facebook page to get the notification of that. John, what do you what do you think about this week against the against the Jaguars? Obviously, a lot of the the drama has dissipated with AJ Green potentially not playing and Jalen Ramsey now being dealt to the Rams. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but uh, I don't know. This kind of just seems like a meh contest. Like, like the the, the Jags are better. They're, they're just better in more areas than the Bengals are, and they're not that impressive. They're only two and four, but. They have a better passing offense. They have a better passing defense. The only thing the Bengals have going for is that for as much as the Bengals can't stop the run, the Jaguars might be even worse. So if there was a time for the Bengals offense and the running game to get back on track, this is probably that week. And with, with the Jaguars, there's like no more volatile and consistent running game in the NFL than Lynn Fournette right now, who for the most part is like they're last in the NFL in success rate in terms of running, but – they can just pop off like out of nowhere and just pop off with like a 70 or 80 yard run. So they're still to be feared with for over the course of a game, but this is a chance for that run defense to really get back on track because the reference line isn't that talented. Fournette is very limited as a runner himself. And there's nothing too impressive about the weapons that the Jaguars have, but they just find a way to make it work. And that's mainly I meant you just trading in, in the pocket in bad situations. And they have a lot of athleticism that receiver, but not, a lot of refined talent. So they still have the capability to really pop off offensively, but there's not a lot of consistency with them. With that said, this is still the Bengals. And they're just not very talented right now. They're still extremely banged up, and there's more negatives working against them than positives are right now. Um, are you are you kind of surprised at what's happened with them being able to win games with Gardner Minshew? I mean, I, I saw a bit more of him than maybe most folks did because he was here, you know, here in the PAC 12. So I watched some games with him. Fun guy. He, he, he was a bit of an ad libber, you know, he'd make some plays and, you know, he'd create something out of nothing type of thing, but he never really wowed you with the arm. He never really, um, he's kind of more the intangibles guy, I guess, but he, I think he was a sixth round pick. Um, definitely a day three guy and, you know, he's coming in winning games for him. Are, are you a little surprised by that? Or, and do you think that that is, I hate to almost ask it, but do you think that is something that can be replicated by other teams in terms of, you know, maybe finding a guy that can somehow play this backyard style of football? I, 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 Kind of want to give some credit to you because he was he was kind of your guy in the draft process as a guy that they can take a late round flyer on if I remember correctly. So it was it was great it was great for Minshew to really take advantage of the opportunity, really go for it because I guess Jacksonville always has like a different kind of culture, you know, down in quote unquote Duval County or whatever. So he kind of fits, I guess, with you know what the fan base really feeds off of, and I'm really happy for him and really getting the chance to to thrive. He was a great guy to um watch talk and interact with the senior bowl and he's talented in his own right like he comes for that mike leach offense you know who's just known to spread the ball out and just kind of make things work through the air he was productive in college and i'm just glad that he's really getting an opportunity to make things work and 
in that offense, he kind of has to win the way that he's winning, right? Because the, the pass blocking in, in general and the offensive line is not as best. He doesn't have, again, a consistent run game to really you know lean on or whatever. But he has athletic receivers. He has guys that can just make things work downfield. And when you have a quarterback like Minshew, who you know can buy time on his own and kind of create in the pocket and kind of make things happen where other quarterbacks maybe maybe would falter. That's just a dangerous combination. That's just a dangerous combination. There's not a lot of consistency no, right now. But he is capable of putting together a complete game against defense. It's not he gives him an opportunity to do so. Well, uh, Jacksonville is, is kind of an intriguing team. They're in a, you know, somewhat weak division. Houston's playing some decent football. Uh, Indianapolis is real up and down. Jacksonville's up and down. And, um, you know, Tennessee is a mess at quarterback. They may be looking at quarterback now. I mean, Mar- Marcus Mariota was benched last week. So the, the division is ripe for the taking in terms of, um, you know, in terms of you know them being able to, to win some games, this is a game on their schedule based on wins and losses that they should win. What do you think is the biggest key this week? I mean, you know, it, both both teams are depleted, be it you know Jacksonville from injury or trade or what have you, but Bengals mostly injury. I mean, what what do you think is the key for one of these teams to? I mean, is it as is it as simple as Jacksonville just getting an early lead and just you know getting on a, a lesser team or a team that's zero six and just getting in their headspace in that way, um, or is there you know something X's and O's wise that you're maybe looking at? Yeah, I, I think pressure. Yeah, min- I, I think pressure is, is definitely is definitely priority number one. Is off number one. Is, again, it's not that impressive, again, but, but he is he is able to make he things is, happen. He's, he's able, able to create things out of structure. Because and of the way that he's doing that, they the still have a top 10 pass in offense to DVOA and adjusting that yards per attempt. And against the, the Bengals defense, who is in the bottom four or five in terms of passing defense, that's a major mismatch. So they have the capability to put themselves in a big hole early in this game. And once again, it's up to Andy Dolan and that pass and offense to kind of keep pace. Because even though the Jaguars' run defense is nothing to be celebrated about, it's still up to that to the Bengals' running offense to kind of take advantage of that. And if they can't continue to do so, and it all comes down to Andy Dalton, it'll be another game of catch-up. Only this time it's going to be in a more favorable environment, and hopefully with Cody Gun Black at left tackle. So, so you know. So, it, it, it's know, just up to them matching. It, it, it's just up to them matching. And it, it sucks to say because Minshew is, is a six-round rookie who wasn't supposed to be the successful, and Amy Ball is the ninth-year veteran and was supposed to be a successful offense. So that's just where we are. That's where we are. Yeah, um, I, I, Will Smith in the um, in the live YouTube chat says, "Good to see Ren play too." Yeah, it's good to see him play, but he's really not having an impact. He's um, not doing anything. He's, not he's just out there. Right. He's just out there. Right. Um, and I. Quite frankly, that's kind of the tagline for this um, for this 2019 draft class. They're just there, uh, and some of them aren't there, like Jonah Williams. So, um, you know, I I, uh, I I wish I could say that this class would, was showing a bit more promise, but uh, they're not. And you know, this unfortunately looks like a game that is probably not winnable for the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to be here for a couple more minutes before we get out of here. Um, 
the one thing, uh, the aspect to this game and, and some headlines that are associated with it, John, that I kind of wanted to talk about was in the, um, you know, the, the Jalen Ramsey trade. And, uh, you know, he got, he got dealt to the Rams for quite a bit of draft collateral, two first round picks. And I believe a fourth round pick, um, you know, obviously one of the best defensive players in the game, but, uh, you know, I kind of just had a little bit of a thought, you know, is this, are we seeing some, some facets in the NFL in terms of players getting traded and the rich getting richer, these bigger market teams, maybe with a little heavier pocketbooks, um, are we seeing it kind of closer to baseball in terms of, you know, some of these teams end up being these smaller market teams end up being almost farm teams for some of these, these big markets and, or some of these smaller market teams, even with the revenue share, even with the salary cap, the salary floor, all that kind of stuff. Are we still seeing um, some things that kind of resemble what happens in baseball? Why the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, all these big market teams are kind of in it almost year after year. I think it just varies by ownership and to your point, like, yeah, in baseball, it's much different because teams are able to generate revenue in different uh, facets and in different ways. Like, like the Yankees obviously have their own like television network, which allows them to pour in a lot more money to, to, you know, spend on other, other things of that nature. So like with the Rams, like what you said, like they just traded away two first round picks for a cornerback who's entering the last year of his contract next year. It's a big gamble. And it's something that, it, it's, it's just, it, it comes down to them believing that they're in a, in a position to win a Super Bowl, but they're also in a position to pay a running back and a below average quarterback about $130 million over the next three years in, in just cash. So it's a big gamble for them, but it also tells you that like the differences between the Bengals and the Rams, of the NFL, like the, like the Rams haven't had a first round pick since like before Sean McVay got there, or maybe the first year that Sean McVay was there and, he, and they're not, they're not going to have a first round pick until like 2022. So it, it, it really, it's just a different way of team building, I guess. And it's a different way of investing resources in terms of making the team better. But like the, the Bengals are just never going to do that. They're never going to, you know, sacrifice all that draft capital to acquire just a single player, no matter how good or how much of a difference that he makes. Because like, because like you're alluding to, the only way that they can really build a team is through the draft. That's the cheapest, the most um, tangible way for them to acquire as much talent as possible over the course of one offseason. When you have the Rams and you have a different um, style of ownership who is able to generate um, more revenue and more capital from other methods besides just, you know, uh, playing football, it, it, it's different. And there's more willingness to shell out a bunch of that money. And, it, and you're right, it is kind of forming into more of a baseball type atmosphere when you have more, you know, big shot or more aggressive, um, aggressive owners and uh, other, you know, GMs of, of that nature who are willing to do that kind of thing. So, you know, it, it, it's just not going to happen for the Bengals. And that's, that's just the that's just the nature of a small market team. Like, I think my my econ professor or my econ teacher in junior high school always said that the Reds will never be as competitive consistently on a year to year basis as the Cardinals because just you know how different in terms of revenue generation that those two the, those teams two two teams are and how much more of a smaller market that the Reds are in compared to the Cardinals and that's basically the situation that the Bengals have kind of forced their hand with. Um, compared to other teams like the Rams and the Patriots and other more aggressive teams who are just willing to spend the capital that they have. So I, I, I do agree with the sense that it is kind of shifting towards that, towards the nature. But I also think that it really just depends on who your owner is, no matter where you are and what your organization is. Yeah. I, you know, I've, 
I kind of scour a little bit of opinions and all that kind of stuff on, on Twitter and, and all kinds of different things. And, um, you know, I think that that's, uh, it's, it's something that I kind of thought about actually today. And I, you know, I, I saw a, a guy who's been on our show before Cody Toomey, a, a number of our followers follow him. He's been kind of preaching a bit on Twitter about, you know, Hey, the, the, the Brown family isn't, money wealthy they're you know because it's because they own the franchise that that's that's where their wealth is so they're not independently wealthy being able to you know go out and spend a ton of money in terms of free agency and all that kind of stuff and you know really that may be one of the major reasons why they prefer to build in the draft why they prefer to um why they prefer to you know, draft, develop, and then extend a core group of guys and then continue to do that. Unfortunately, what they did is they kind of got overconfident as to what they were able to build from 2010 through 2012. And uh, it's been a failure really, I don't want to say since, but really from 2015 on, it's been kind of a failure in that regard. So um, I don't know. I I just, you know, I, I hate to call the Bengals or whatever kind of a quote unquote farm team, but when you see an LA team, I, I, I looked at all the, the acquisitions, the Rams, I put out a tweet about it, all the acquisitions the Rams made in terms of trades in outside free agency, and it, it just really in the McVay era, and it's pretty staggering. Um, granted, they've given up a lot of capital. Some of those guys they, they re- signed as recently or traded for as recently as last year are already not on the roster, like Marcus Peters and Dominican Sue, but they went and they got pieces that helped them get to wild card berth, get to a Super Bowl, and and you got to do that kind of stuff. Exactly, like like with the Bengals and their specific. We've talked about this so many times. If they aren't good at drafting, then they have no chance of competing because that is the only way that they can turn over their roster for the better. They're never going to shell out you know guarantee, major guaranteed money at signing for. To, to attract any free agents at all at the, at the top of the market for any of the positions that they need. They're always going, going to be more attractive to the teams that are not only set up to, to win now better, but are also willing to shell out that money in the early part of that contract. That's something that the Rams have never been afraid to do. It's probably not going to be something that they're, that they're going to be, you know, shying away from in terms of negotiating with Jalen Ramsey, but it like you need to use, utilize both on average for just any team, just any team that you're looking at, you need to be able to utilize both. That's what the Packers did this past offseason. They, they've been, they've been, you know, over the, over the past, you know, decade or so with Aaron Rodgers, they've been strictly, you know, very similar to the Bengals in terms of just developing through the draft. And that that's where you get the most, most of your acquisitions over the offseason, not having free agency that all changed this offseason. Once they hired, you know, a new GM over Ted Thompson, they went out and got two, two new starters on defense, you know, a, a starter, a tight end, and they've made incredible impact, and now they're five and one with Aaron Rodgers playing basically the same that he's always played over the past couple of years. They made a, a dynamic change with how they built that roster, and it's seen positives for the better. You need to be able to utilize both, and until the Bengals utilize one, they just need to be extremely lucky in the draft, or just have one guy at the most important position in the game to really make up for all those um, incompetencies, if you will. Yeah, and you know, just kind of quick mini topic. I mean. How confident are you that if the Bengals get one of those, you know, if they hold on to either the number one or number two pick based on what we talked about, and then, you know, obviously a top pick in the second round, which essentially is like a first round pick. I mean, how confident are you, given their spotty track record in the draft, that they will be able to get players like 
what they did in 2003 to turn their team around right away, like a Carson Palmer and an Eric Steinbach, or, you know, I mean, it, it, now 2015 through 2019, they haven't been able to do that, but now that they've been poor, do you think that not waiting for guys to fall into the teens and twenties and getting kind of their pick of the litter, do you think that that then helps them kind of get out of their own way? Yeah. Like for as long as I've been like a conscious human being, not including the late nineties, I guess they've been relatively successful at drafting the top 10. You're going to look, you're going to point at John Ross, a few of you and you know, his inconsistencies, but for the most part, compare him to some other first round picks that the Bengals have had. He's probably more towards the middle or maybe even the upper tier in terms of the last 20 or so first round picks that they've had. Like Keith Rivers, I think, was talented and just got injured. Andre Smith has lasted 10 years in the league and for the most part has been an above average starter during that time. And then you have guys like Carson Palmer and, and, and A.J. Green, who are obviously were elite at, at the peaks of their careers. And then, yeah, with, with Steinbach at the top of the second round, the, the, those picks from like the 32 to 40 range, they're like borderline first round players right. and, and you're not, you're not getting the true second round players. So you're, you're in a sense getting two quality, you know, first round caliber guys with your first two picks. And that can go a long way of helping. Like the Patriots have been able to somehow manage to, to keep rolling in solid picks in the, in the, in the draft, either trading out of the first round or whatever. They haven't picked it like outside of, or up above like the top 20. And I don't even know, I don't even know how many years, but for most teams, you know, when, when you're picking that late in the draft or at least in the middle portion over a certain period of time, you're going to get some more some more negatives than positives o- over time. But when you finally start, you know, investing in, in the top of the in the top of the draft, you're going to get lucky more times. Now, that's kind of what we've seen with San Francisco, right? Like they invested a ton of picks at the top of the draft, specifically with with the defensive line. And now that unit is completely carrying that defense into one of the best defenses in the league. So. Over time, it, it, it tends to work out more times than not. You're going to have busts here and there, but you're going to give yourself a better chance at, at succeeding when you're picking that high. So there's a chance that they can turn this around in a year, but they're going to have to absolutely hit on those two picks. And I don't know if I want to guarantee that out of the gate, but it is more likely than not um, compared to if they were picking like in the in like 13 and 50 or whatever. Right. And, and I mean, I, I referenced 2003. I should also reference 2011. I mean, yeah. they, they, they had AJ Green at number four and Dalton at the at the very beginning of the second round. So uh, I know he's not everybody's favorite guy right now, but Dalton and Green helped turn this team around from a, a pretty you know pretty bad 2010 season and gosh off season into that year. So uh, you know those are they need to be able to have if if that's the way the rest of this season is going to go and there's no reason to. <laughs> think otherwise uh they need to be able to hit on those uh, on those high picks they need to get a high pick and get two immediate impact guys that can really kind of you know turn their turn their tides around um we'll see if they can do it uh, unfortunately zach taylor's first draft class did not give us a lot to write home about but you know we still have yet to see jonah williams play it down and uh you know maybe that'll maybe that'll change perceptions on things uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Thanks for tuning in. I apologize to some of you. I, there might have been a, a little bit of an audio issue um, towards the kind of middle end of, of the program there. We tried to um, tried to fix that there, so hopefully it's a little better. But uh, we appreciate you tuning in via either Facebook Live or the YouTube channel. All of our stuff is on the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel, as well as Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk, the uh, the film breakdowns. Hopefully you've taken a look at those or listened to them on the podcast. 
uh, at least the audio, and uh, hopefully you are enjoying those as well as the Orange is the New Black audio uh, podcast. That is part of the uh, the SB Nation audio channel now, so check that out. Um, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You can get it on Megaphone. I mentioned the YouTube channel and all this stuff is on CincyJungle.com. Any final thoughts before we get out of here, John? We've been going long the past couple of weeks, so we thought we'd cut it a little shorter this week. Uh, any Any final thoughts? I had to shave my mustache last week, but if I didn't, I would have been growing out for for Minshew. I'm gonna try to match what he's got going on. Minshew mania coming to Cincinnati. I'm, you know, last week was pretty entertaining. I guess the week before that was pretty entertaining. If they don't win, at least keep it entertaining. And I hope you know, with them facing a guy like Minshew, it is at least watchable for for four quarters of football. Yeah. Uh- yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's like I said, it's a shame we have to talk about, you know, oh, they could go three and 13 and I, oh, it's just uh, not, not totally how I envisioned this year to go, even after week one, not really how I envisioned the, the, the year to go. Um, but uh, some would, some would say, I told you so, whatever, I guess if you want to gloat about that and be happy about that, then by all means do your thing, but not me, not me. Enjoy the game, however you may be watching it or listening to it this weekend. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. We will see you next time. We'll also be back before the weekend for some listener questions. So those of you who have submitted them, we didn't forget about you. We're just going to do a standalone episode for the listener questions. And we will still be taking more for that probably Friday afternoon, maybe tomorrow afternoon, Thursday afternoon. We'll see. John and I will talk about it. We'll let you all know exactly when that's going to take place. But uh, we will do another listener questions episode since we've been getting so many. There's There have already been texts throughout the show as well. So uh, appreciate the, the feedback. Thanks, John. Enjoy the game, bud. You too, man.